Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And in this week's episode, we'll be talking about NFL Week 3. We'll also be discussing NFL Week 4. As always, we'll be touching on the NBA. And then we'll have our best for last. Now, I hope you guys follow the social media handle at JTime Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. Uh, apologies, guys, for last week. We had some technical difficulties. Ultimately, couldn't get the show recorded. Um, so, therefore, I know some of you guys were looking forward to Jack's pack, uh, but that will not, uh, I won't count last week. Uh, we didn't do so hot last week, but um, on the picks I did make, but I will not count last week, of course, because you guys never knew the picks. Uh, we, and we had so social media technical difficulties. Um, so, unfortunately, we cannot record last week, but we are back in full force this week. Of course, we will have Jack's pack as always. That'll come up right after the uh, second NFL segment, which is where it usually is located. Again, we are four and six so far on the year, and we'll give you our picks. Uh, I will give you my picks rather uh, for week four. Whenever we get to that segment, like I said, and of course, as always, it is placed after the second NFL segment. But uh, we are going to jump right into NFL week three. Uh, well, okay, before we do that, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't send my thoughts and prayers uh, publicly to the hurricane victims in Florida, uh, Cuba, and wherever else um, the hurricane, recent hurricane has gone through. Um, I hope you guys are safe. hope you guys are well. Uh, for those of you lost family members, lost houses, prayers to you. And um, I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. But let's jump right into the business of why we are here. We are here to talk football. All right. And, and, and this technically is a, it was a week three situation. It happened last week or it happened Thursday night. Um, so, you know, technically it's week four. But, of course, the biggest story in the NFL right now is the Miami Dolphins uh, quarterback, Tua Tagovailoa, and his concussion scandal. Now, he was originally injured. Um, to me, he was originally concussed. And the more information we get about this, the more, obviously, I think this theory will be proven right. But he was originally concussed against the, the Buffalo Bills in their victory over the Bills. Um, in which case he got hit, head makes contact with the turf. He gets up, stumbling around. He's wobbling. He's clearly affected by something. Um, and he's stumbling around. He's wobbling. I've seen enough injuries in, in the football. I've seen enough injuries in MMA. I've seen enough injuries in boxing, kickboxing, contact sports, hockey, contact sports where concussions are prevalent. Even soccer, which has the highest rate of concussion thanks to you headbutting a ball. Um, to know when a person's stumbling and wobbling around like that, they are concussed. There's just no ifs, ands, buts about it. 
uh, they are indeed concussed, and that is what Tua Tagovailoa was. Um, according to the original report, they didn't. Well, some it's mixed reports everywhere. Some reports saying, "Oh, he never went into the um, concussion protocol." Uh, some are saying that he went in and passed. Um, the Dolphins officially said it was a back injury, and that's why he was potentially out for Thursday night's game. And of course, then you get to Thursday night game. They're playing. Um, uh, I can't think of the Cleveland Browns, maybe, uh, but they're, uh, they're they're playing their opponent. Tua gets slammed on the back of his head, and his body goes in rigor mortis. Um, and if you know what rigor mortis is, it is when the human body locks up for up to several days after um, death. The body locks in the like the muscles lock in the position that they're in because they're waiting on the next command. Um, and so, and then it takes a while for all the nerves and stuff to finally die in the arm and the body, and then the body, whatever. Then I get too technical about it. But um, Tua's brain completely left. Um, it completely shut down because he ultimately, his body was stuck. His fingers, the only time he freed his finger moved because his hand accidentally hit his helmet and it made it look like an okay sign. And his other finger got stuck where the ball was supposed to be. And the other hand got stuck like he was holding the ball. And it was he just he was stuck. The only his body would not unlock from that position until he was physically moved by people to put him on the back plate to get his hands down, etc. Um, Amazon, of course, showed it over and over and over again. Um, people always complain about that, but at the same time, it's television. What else are they gonna show? Um, the crowd of him being on the ground. I mean, I guess I guess in theory they could show the announcers, um, but even, a lot of times even the announcers are rewatching the replay. So, um, I guess they could show the announcers. That's something the NFL could look into in the future. Uh, when there is an injury, stop showing it over and over and over again. Um, but that image of him with locked fingers it, four days after concussion um, stuck with a lot of people. It's been causing a lot of issues. You got people like Jalen Ramsey complaining about, man, I'm getting fined for wearing right certain socks and you're not going to do anything about Tua. Um, a lot of people came to his defense, came to his wish and his well, his well-being, uh, wishing him well-being rather, uh, following his injury. But it brought a bigger thing to light. The NFL always talks about player safety. They always talk about, oh, we're doing everything we can to protect the players. You can't, you can't tell me, you saw Tua wobbling around, stumbling, bumping into his teammates against the Bills and think he was a concussed. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. He came in in the Bills game and he finished the game. So it's not just a situation when he was knocked out of the game and they say, oh, he never went to the protocol and came back. He finished the game. I'm sure he didn't see any signs of it in, in practice. And then, bam, he gets the he gets a re-concussion. He gets re-concussed, rather. In, in the Thursday night concert, oh, it's the Bengals. It wasn't the Browns. The Bengals. I'm sorry. In the in their in their white Bengal uniform. That's what triggered to me. I was I was looking at white and black. One major concussion can have long term effects. I fully believe two has had two major concussions, or at least a mild and a major concussion, in the past in ninety in a ninety six hours span. Sorry. That damn football. That could affect his long term mental health. That could affect his long-term physical health. He's he's gotten his brain bounced off the side of his skull and potential crack in said skull two times in 96 hours. You're not supposed to. I mean, there's players that retire from three concussions 
in a career, in a four-year college career, and they said they're concussions uh, prone, so they, they get out the sport. He's put two concussions together in 96 hours, one of which had him stumbling around the field, and the other one knocked him out entirely. Um, ultimately, the uh, independent uh, doctor, independent neurologist, that worked there were jointly appointed for the NFL and the NFLPA was fired um, because after the NFLPA found that that person made several mistakes in the uh, how to it was handled. Now, th- these concussion protocols are going to come under mass review. One of the big things is that they use what they call baseline testing in order to see if you're you know if you're out of it because if you baseline test and your reaction time say is four seconds and all of a sudden you're running ten seconds, it's gonna be like yeah, yeah, yeah something's wrong with him. Uh, he's his brain is clearly not functioning at the normal baseline. Um, but if you know that and you go to eight seconds, and then all of a sudden you go to eight point five seconds because you're asking cuss and you can't think that fast, he would um, he would technically pass the test because his, he wouldn't be that far from the baseline. So, like I said, the NFL NFLPA rather exercised their right to fire the independent neurologists um due to those they quoted as several mistakes made in the process of uh diagnosing uh and treating to attack about lois injury or his concussion uh, they haven't come out flat out and said it was a concussion but we have got to use our common sense here we can all use our eyes and say it was a concussion that's a major problem in the nfl that that opens you up to lawsuits that opens you up to class action suits you, you, you blew up a few years ago when the uh, concussion movie came out starring Will Smith uh, talking about uh, the research of Dr. Umalu in regards to CTE. You blew up then they had to settle a class action big time lawsuit. Um, and so now you are going to deal with um, another potential lawsuit situation, another claim, another round of claims uh, with Tua Tagovailoa's injury. Like I said, hopefully the young man's okay. Hopefully he doesn't have any long-term effects, prayfully. Um, but that was a scary sight to see. Like I said, two major concussions in 96 hours is a pretty bad way to live. And um, hopefully he is ultimately okay. We'll keep you guys updated on this as much as we humanly can. Uh, of course, on all the J-Time, so it's J-Time Sports social medias, we will keep you guys updated on these developments. But on to just a few of the games from week three uh some major ones the cleveland browns took down the pittsburgh steelers why is this major the reason why this is major hey hey mr uh mr tomlin sir um you're a smart man you've forgotten more football than i could possibly know right now it's over I know you put some money in Mitch Trubisky's pocket. I know you may think Kenny Pickett isn't ready. You may think a lot of stuff. What I'm telling you is that it's over. Um, it is it is a wrap. It is an absolute wrap. There's no path. There's no reason. There's no purpose. There's no benefit. There is no positive intent behind continuing to play Mitchell Trubisky as a Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback, as opposed to going with um, the young guy Kenny Pickett. There's no benefit. Kenny Pickett's used to being in a stadium. He's used to the weather. He's used to the facilities. Like I said, instead of making a right, he makes a left uh, because the Steelers and the University of Pittsburgh share a facility. 
they play in Heinz Field or I forgot what it's called now, but it's traditionally been Heinz Field. Um, and so there's just no reason at this point for any reason uh, for uh, Mitchell Trubisky to continue to be the starter and you're just letting uh, Pickett just rot away on the bench, basically watching Trubisky play pretty bad football. Um, he's even making the fantasy, he's even making the players on the fantasy team that isn't Najee Harris useless uh, because he's so inept at times at the quarterback position. It's not helping that Matt Canada is OC. Um, that's not helping either. But at this point, you could let Big Ben come back if you were going to let Mitch Trubisky do what he's currently doing. But in regards, remember we talked about those Bengals, how they were involved. Obviously, in two, we talk about Lois' second concussion uh, injury. Are they back? I mean, if you look at it, you, you saw that they struggled a little bit. They struggled in their first game. Okay. And then they go to game two. They put it together in the second half against um, – against the Cowboys, then they put a whole game together against the Bengals, against the uh, Dolphins, rather. So it's going to be very interesting to keep our eye on them uh, the rest of this season. Uh, we're going to talk about them. Uh, I'm not going to talk about them in week four, about the week four coverage. So, and then they go to the Jets and put up a complete game against the Jets. So you're looking at a two-and-two two ball club. They're starting to bounce back a little bit. You can see some of the offense is starting to flow. There's some, uh, some more trust, rather, in Joe Burrow. You see a lot of Zach Taylor starting to get into his rhythm. It takes offensive coaches, especially with the lack of people playing in the preseason, about two to three, maybe even four weeks to get into a rhythm uh, until they can figure out what they want to call, how they want to set it up, uh, because you can have an idea in practice, but until you go out there and play it in a game against live bodies and in a game situation, you can't really prove that the best strategy is the one that you're employing until you try to go make some money from it. Um, so that is a very interesting thing there. We're going to definitely keep our eye on the Bengals this year. Um, you know I am anyway with the LSU connection. Joe Burrow, um, Jamar Chase is the two people that I am going to always keep my eye on and support. So we're going to definitely keep our eye on that situation. Uh, the Saints week three uh, went pretty poorly. Uh, they were fairly inept against the Carolina Panthers. The offense looks absolutely terrible. Um, the loss of Sean Payton is growing and growing by the day. Um, it is just absolutely not uh, not a good offensive sight for the New Orleans Saints. Alvin Kamara feels inept. Michael Thomas is in and out of the, continues to be in and out of the lineup with injury. Jameis Winston is dealing with injuries as well. He's not playing up to nowhere near his peak performance level. Um, so you're just adding more and more stressors onto a defense that's beginning to crack. And it's an older defense. It's not a young defense. You know, it's a, a defense that has to fight in order just to um, fight in order just to contend at times with different people. So um, that defense is going to be under a lot of stress, especially now that Jameis Winston and Michael Thomas officially will not play in week four. We'll expand on that a little bit more in the next um, block. In the B block, but uh, with Miles Garrett and company, not Miles Garrett and company, I'm sorry, Jameis Winston and Michael Thomas and company uh, being out is going to put a lot of stress on that Saints defense and the role guys to step up like a Marquez Callaway and then get Alvin Kamara back on track. And lastly, um, Lamar Jackson is the definition of yesterday's price, it's not today's price. 
He is sitting there getting closer and closer to $300 million fully guaranteed. If I'm the Baltimore Ravens, I play the salary cap game. I know I could just place two exclusive franchise tags on him. And then in the middle of the second franchise tag, I would then I would then pretty much give him whatever he chose or whatever he wanted to do in order to keep him around. But um, at the moment, there is no uh, reason why if I'm the Ravens, I sign him to a contract. I make him continue to earn that contract. And if he officially earns it, then by all means, cut the check. I'll have no, I would have no issue with that at all. But um, the Ravens are in playing a dangerous game, and so is Lamar. Uh, the Ravens could offer him $300 million guarantee right now, and he takes it. But that pretty much kills any and all flex cap flexibility. Because once you guarantee, fully guarantee a deal, you can't maneuver bonuses. You can't maneuver uh, salary and the signing bonus. Um, because all the money is fully guaranteed so therefore there's little to no mobility available inside of the contractual language and the, and the cba according to the nfl but up next we're going to have the nfl week four uh, and some news going down Welcome back into the show. And now we're going to talk about NFL week four. Now, there's some big games this week. We're going to discuss a little news this week. Um, a, a little news of what is happening this week, rather. We are going to talk about all of it. So we're going to start off with the London game. That is the first international game of the year. It features Andy Dalton and the New Orleans Saints versus the Minnesota Vikings. Why Andy Dalton in the game? Well, because James Winston is dealing with uh, back and leg injuries, I believe, if memory serves me correctly. And so uh, he tried to play through it last week. Like we talked about in the last segment, it didn't go well. Uh, ultimately looked pretty bad. Uh, and so they decided to ultimately shut him down this week. And they went with a veteran, Andy Dalton. Now, this could be a very interesting thing to do. Uh, a very interesting decision for the New Orleans Saints staff. We speak about it all the time professional sports, so because I do. A lot of times, decisions are made financially. Look, if I'm paying a guy $100 million, see Kenny Galladay with the Giants, um, see Dallas Cowboys, who's Ezekiel Elliott, I, if the backup's not significantly better, I'm going to go with the starter. Financially, I have to keep that starter in the game. Um, but when it comes down to um, this decision... Jameis Winston, not making that much guaranteed money. Andy Dalton, not either. There's no um, there's no financial incentive to play Jameis Winston over Andy Dalton. There's no financial incentive to play Andy Dalton over Jameis Winston. So let's say if Andy Dalton comes out this week, has a great game against a pretty solid Minnesota Vikings defense and the Saints win 30-13 in London. What happens next week? Do you stay with Andy Dalton? Or do you go back to James Winston, who was QB1? Um, what do you do? I remember if I 
if I remember correctly, uh, Andy Dalton was signed to the New Orleans Saints. The Saints official Twitter put QB1 on his tweet and they ultimately retracted it. So it'd be very interesting to see if Andy Dalton does play really well. What do you do um, if you are the New Orleans Saints? The Minnesota Vikings, on the other hand, have a big chance to get a good win. Take a big chance to get a solid win against a good team. Uh, the New Orleans Saints, to me, are better than their record would suggest. Um, and so, if the Vikings were to beat them, that would be a team that was going to improve their record and going, the Vikings are going to look better because of that. Um, they also get to play however they have to deal with Andy Dalton. They haven't, no one's seen Andy Dalton play for the Saints ever. Um, and so, that would be an interesting switch as well. Uh, this game is not in Jack's pack, so I will pick it. I've got the Vikings 27-20 um, is the score I have for Minnesota to win the game in London. London game is always weird. They're usually close. Um, they usually have some kind of weird occurrence. I always look at the fact that it's Andy Dalton's first thought with the team. Minnesota's in much bigger need of the game than New Orleans is in terms of where each team is trying to go. Um, both teams have Super Bowl potential expectations. However, the Minnesota Vikings have to contend with Aaron Rodgers and that machine in Green Bay. In the division, New Orleans has a beat or has the number of their primary division opponent, which is Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, and so I am going to roll with the Minnesota Vikings 27 to 20. That should be a very interesting game in London. Like I said, they're usually pretty close when you play up over there, but we're going to keep our eye on that. Ah, the second game we're going to discuss is the draft class teammates, um, Josh Allen versus Lamar Jackson. Um, and this is a huge game. This is a big game in the AFC because this is one of those situations where it comes down to a tiebreaker. Uh, will either one of these teams get the one seed? Not sure about that. But this is kind of game that can come down to a tiebreaker. So two, three. You know, maybe there's a really good team sitting here at the uh, fifth spot that the two seed other is a really good team at the seventh spot for some reason that the team would have to play. You know, it's all about seeding um, in this matchup. Both teams are going to make the playoffs. So it's about who gets the higher seed when they go. And in theory, the easier path. Whoever there's a really, really good team at the sixth seed and the three seed has to play them now. You know, that sort of thing. Um, and so... This is going to be a massive game because it's two, this is two QBs on the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of financial uh, stability. They are also, they share a draft class. Um, and so that's always an interesting thing there when two people from the same draft class go against each other. They've often, often make a pair to each other. Well, they're quarterbacks and they share the same draft class. Uh, Josh Allen is a bigger quarterback, obviously, 6'6", 250. But he's the team's leading rusher as well. Um, MVP candidate for sure. And he locked in his contract last offseason. So not the offseason past, but the offseason before that. Lamar Jackson still playing without his contract extension in the fifth year of his option. He um he is currently he has more touchdowns than every NFL team, but but two technically two, but he plays for one of them. So he has every um out of the 31 possible teams, other teams in the NFL, he has uh 30, he has more touchdowns, I'm sorry than all the teams than 30 of 31 of them um and he has 12 total touchdowns already he is a top five yards passing efficiency touchdowns and he's like number four or he lead the league in efficiency in touchdowns um leading the league in some other passing efficiency stats and he has number four in the league in rushing yards he's absolutely playing video games uh in real life 
he is performing at an incredibly incredibly high level and so it is going to make this game a very interesting game for you if you're the bills you're coming off a pretty heartbreaking loss against the dolphins because you finally putting things together and due to some poor class management that sent ken dorsey into a frenzy that i'm sure most of you have seen by now um they are in need of this game as well um so in this game ravens have home field advantage I believe they ultimately use that home foot advantage to their advantage. Um, and they win a very high scoring game, 37-34. Um, Lamar Jackson puts together a drive at the end to either get a field goal or the game winning touchdown. The next one is the Battle of the Goats. Um, and it is the potential future GOAT in Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs versus the actual GOAT, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, this will be their fourth meeting in their NFL careers. Um, the first meeting went to Brady because they won in the AFC Championship game. I believe the second meeting has gone to Brady. The third meeting to Mahomes, and now they're playing again. Brady has not lost to him in the playoffs. AFC Championship game one time, Super Bowl another time. So that is something I'm sure eats at Patrick Mahomes, uh, at least a little bit during this week, is that he's never beaten Brady. That Brady's always found a way to take him out, uh, which was – a lot of the stories in Brady's early days where he would find a way to get you. You know, you would think you had it under control, the playoff game under control. Next thing you know, Brady's doing something and he finds a way to get you. And so that is something I'm sure the Chiefs uh, and their fan base have been going through dealing with Brady and now in two different locations is that Brady's going to find a way to get you. Um, and then Mahomes on the offense did not look great last week. Neither did the Bucks. The Bucks scored three points. It's not, let's not go there. The Bucks scored three points. But the Chiefs' offense did not look very good at all. Uh, they should be get, they're getting a little help back in Marquez Valdez Scantling. But in terms of being an explosive offense or anything like that, uh, the Chiefs were very, very much under control, uh, which is very un-Chiefs-like if you follow the Chiefs in their, in their recent history ever since the addition of Patrick Mahomes. So this game is not in Jack's pack, so I would not pick it. Um, and right the second, I will discuss it more in Jack's pack. And then the last game we're going to discuss is the Monday night game between the uh, Los Angeles Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. This game is a battle of the young brains. You've got Sean McVay for the Rams. You've got Kyle Shanahan for the Niners. Um, and this game was supposed to be kind of old versus new, but instead it's back to what it was a repeat of the NFC Championship game, because instead of Trey Lance, it is Jimmy Garoppolo due to Trey Lance's very unfortunate ankle injury. Um, and so they get to go at it one more time, Stafford and Garoppolo. Now this game is interesting. Uh, it's also in Jack's pack, so we're gonna discuss a winner uh, in Jack's pack, but this game is interesting because Sean McVay typically has had the number of all of the rest of the young coaches. Um, and I mean, like, you know, he's had the number of Sean McVay. He's had the number of um, Sirianni. I believe they played last year in the Niners one. He usually keeps um, he, he used to be Jay Gruden. He, he usually keeps a victory over coaches that worked under him or worked around him because he knows exactly what they like to do. He knows exactly how uh, to defeat whatever they like to do. And he knows kind of the thought in their plays um, when he um, play, coaches against them. So that is always, of course, incredibly interesting. Sean McVay has had tr trouble beating um, Kyle Shanahan. So again, we will not pick a winner. We'll talk about a little more in Jack's pack, 
but just know it'll be a very interesting contest regardless of the score because of two coaches uh, regardless of the talent on the field now we're going to jump to a little bit of news uh miles garrett was a survivor of a single car accident uh he has since been six cents been ticketed for for unsafe driving um but he was um like I said, he, according to reports, he swerved in the street to avoid an animal. Um, and his car ended up flipping several times. He was pretty, the car was pretty beat up. He walked away mostly unscathed, had a couple of bruises, a couple of bumps, uh, no broken bones, no torn ligaments, anything like that. Just some bruises and, brum- bruises and bumps um, was the diagnosis from me. Um, and from, from what I've been reading, that was the general diagnosis that it was just some bruises and some bumps um, and that is why he um is out this sunday against uh or in their game i'm not sure who they, they played this week but miles garrett is out this sunday uh, for the team mac jones uh suffered a high ankle sprain towards the end of their game um, and so now he is out this Sunday as well. Brian Hoyer will start for the New England Patriots. Um, and so he is out this Sunday. Now, kudos to him. He got very, and I do mean very close, um, to, no, he got very close to playing this week. Uh, he's back in the facility. He's telling his teammates, don't count him out. Other things of that nature, uh, Mac Jones was incredibly close to coming back this week, but ultimately he could not uh, go this week. So, of course, uh, Brian Horio will get the start. Jameis Winston, as we talked about earlier, he is out dealing with uh, back and leg injuries, I believe. Uh, but Andy Dalton will get the start for the New Orleans Saints against the Minnesota Vikings in uh, London. And Keenan Allen has also been ruled out. I believe it was a calf injury is what ruled out uh, Keenan Allen. Um, but he is also out. So Mike Williams, for those of you who plays fantasy, is now is now WR1. And so um, that is what is happening in the NFL as we now will shift after this quick break to Jack's pack. Welcome in to the show or welcome back in to the show rather and we are jumping into jack's pack which of course is our nfl betting segment all eyes provided by the espn app and we are picking games against the spread and holy moly i'm sorry i'm watching alabama arkansas and of course the backup quarterback for alabama just did that wow he just ran what was that 70 something yards uh where you at the 20 goes at the two so 78 yards scramble uh just a, i mean he may have gotten in if he didn't step out of bounds but third and 15 scrambles 78 yards 
to absolutely take the heart 77 yards officially to take the heart out of arkansas it gets tipped on the very oh almost got picked okay i'm sorry i just kind of live tweeted that uh live sprock podcasted that i should say because um he almost absolutely just took the soul out of the arkansas crowd the crowd was going crazy everyone was losing their minds and then that happened uh wow what a run <laughs> from the alabama backup quarterback because bryce young's hurt um so absolutely deflating run um if you're the arkansas defense but anyway back to uh jack's pack like i said it's our nfl betting segment all eyes provided by the espn app um and we pick games against the spread of course um and so we got five games admittedly i don't love the numbers this week the numbers nothing jumped out at me a couple of the games were like these are great um these are good really then there's a couple uh numbers you know uh so didn't really love any other numbers um not seriously anyway but um you know so we're gonna jump right into the we're gonna jump right into them you know sometimes vegas just doesn't give us great numbers that week it is what it is um but the but my favorite number of the week is chargers at texans uh chargers minus five and a half take the chargers there um that that just feels like the better game i just feel like the side there um i look at how many points can the texans truly score 20 so you're telling me the chargers can't get to 26 27 you know what I'm saying? So I've got the Chargers uh, over the Texans. Chargers minus five and a half. Take the Chargers. Chiefs at Bucks. Um, Bucks getting the point here for home field advantage. I do think the Bucks win this game, and so you can't win a game. Uh, you can't win a game. The worst gonna worst. I split it. I get even. Um, and so uh, I've got the Bucks here minus one. Again, you have to win the game by at least one point. And so I've got the Bucks here winning the game outright. Um, and so I've got the Bucks in that Chargers Texans game. I'm thinking 27-20 Chargers for this Bucks Chiefs game. I'm looking at 24 to 21 or 27-24. The, the Chiefs are having issues with their field goal kicking. Uh, the kicker they signed two weeks ago because Harrison, Harrison Bucker got hurt. Um, he's already been released. He had a good first game, terrible second game. Been released. They had, they're bringing in another kicker now. And so, uh, with that being said, uh, I've got the Bucks beating the Chiefs 27-24. Potentially, maybe, um, maybe you're uh, going to the game and maybe the Chiefs missed a fil- important field goal. Who knows? But like I said, 27-24 would be what I am looking at uh, for Bucks and Chiefs. Rams at Niners. We spoke about this game earlier, and I, I told you how Kyle Shanahan usually owns the people in his age group. Uh, but I just think Jimmy Garoppolo is such an encumberment right now that even he can't pull Jimmy Garoppolo out of it. They looked like an embarrassment of a shell of an offense against the um, against uh, their last opponent, the Denver Broncos. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams are right there. They've got Aaron Donald. You've got Jalen Ramsey. Ramsey seems to have gotten his swagger back after he took it on the chin from Stephon Diggs. He seems to have gotten his swagger back. Uh, so that doesn't bode well for a guy like Debo Samuel. Um, but, or my fantasy team, because they're not half uh, Debo Samuel. But um, I've got the Rams winning this game here. Even though the 49ers are getting a point and a half, I've got the Rams winning this game here, um, you know, 23 to 17. 
Jacksonville Jaguars at the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles are six and a half point favorites. Take the Jaguars. I think I think the Eagles will win the game, but the Jaguars have a pretty decently potent offense right now. Doug Peterson's calling it a hell of a ball game. He's scheming it properly. Trevor Lawrence looks like, uh, in the words of Nick Wright, the prince that's been promised has finally arrived. Um, and it's, and that phrase comes from old medieval times where you know people say, "Oh, I promise you're gonna get an heir. I promise you're gonna get a prince." And now that prince that we were promised has finally arrived. Uh, Trevor Lawrence looks like a guy who is potentially ready to take over the mantle of best quarterback or into that elite echelon of quarterbacks uh, sooner rather than later. Um, but the Eagles are playing out of their minds right now. The defense is playing great. Jalen Hurts is a legitimate MVP front runner. Um, Tell my Jalen Hurts isn't that good. Uh, take isn't is is not going well right now. But he's a <laughs> he's a legitimate MVP front runner right now. Uh, Devontae Smith, shout out my fans team, just traded for him. Um, he's playing really well. AJ Brown has been doing what AJ Brown does. Um, you can see his definitely see his impact on Tennessee Titans and his impact on the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and so, but Christian Kirk and Trevor Lawrence and that crew is really rolling. Like the Doug Peterson's doing well. They've get, they're creating a little bit of a pass rush. They're covering decently in the secondary. But so I've got the Eagles winning the game. I just don't think. I mean, a touchdown feels like a bit much for the Jaguars. So I've got the Jaguars losing the game, um, thirty-one to twenty-seven. And then lastly, uh, the Seattle Seahawks at the Detroit Lions. Lions minus three. Take the Lions in this game. Now, you're going to call me crazy because I, I, I know, and I'm, I'm recording on Saturday night to come out Sunday morning. I know I'm on Raw St. Brown is out. I know um, DeAndre Swift is out. I'm aware of that. But something about their Lions team, they seem to almost play better when their back's against the wall. When they've got a little bit of a struggle. The easy number here is to go Seattle. But as I said, that, that Lions team, Jamal Williams, Jared Goff, Dan Campbell, they seem to play a little bit better when their back's against the wall. Um, Rodrigo and the rest of that defense seems to do their things a little bit more when they've got the pressure away from them, when they've got to they've got to really work for what they're trying to come after. Um, and so that is incredibly enticing there. So I've got the Lions minus three uh, winning, winning the game. Actually, pretty low scoring contest, 17-13. Uh, uh, the Lions get a couple of rest touchdowns out of Jamal Williams. Uh, Geno Smith makes a costly mistake, and the Lions win 17-13. But to go back through it one more time, I've got the uh, Chargers minus five and a half over the Texans. I've got the Bucks minus one over the Chiefs. I've got the Rams minus one and a half over the 49ers. I've got the Jaguars plus six and a half over the Eagles. And I've got the Lions minus three um, over the Seahawks. So just for clarification purposes, I don't know if I said this properly. I have Rams plus one and a half over the Niners. Um, so I've got the Rams as the underdog team. But up next, we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down in the National Basketball Association. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to talk about the NBA and what's going down there. Uh, several major stories happening in the NBA right now. Um, it's it's the NBA. It's never a dry cycle. It's never a dry period. We're going to talk about what is going down there. 
So, of course, the big news is the developing Emi Adoka story. Um, Matt Barnes, um, veteran NBA player, co-host of All the Smoke podcast with Steven Jackson, along with doing other uh, spot work with um, doing other spot work with um, different media outlets as far as the NBA. Um, he is one of the voices right now of the situation because he keeps openly saying like, yo, it's worse than what's been reported. Um, once all the facts come out, he may never coach in the NBA again, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, now stuff is starting to come out. You get situations where now the relationship uh, potentially started with unwarranted um, unwarranted uh, language. Then it became um, unwarranted language. Then the relationship turned into consensual relations. But at that point, you know, and that it was from a subordinate. So now the language was inappropriate from a superior to a subordinate. The relationship, of course, being uh, although it was consensual, rather, or excuse me, um, it was inappropriate for a superior to be with a subordinate, etc. It's just a whole lot of stuff. It's leaking out slowly. It's not some massive expose from the New York Times, you know, like it's leaking out bit by bit by bit and not everyone's getting it. Um, Sham Sharanya got a piece and then Baxter, uh, not Baxter, but Sham Sharanya got a piece and then somebody else got a piece. Agent Wojnarowski drops a bigger piece. It's piece by piece by piece. Um, what is happening with the, um, what is happening in the Boston, you're getting piece by piece. So we're gonna keep our eye on that. Of course, we're gonna watch it. Of course, to see what exactly is going on uh, with the Emiladoka situation. Many people aren't saying much. Of course, that was the overwhelming thing at the Boston media days. Um, Brad Stevens um, defended the women because, of course, when you said a female person on staff, everyone immediately googles the Boston Celtics staff, and there's three women on it that everybody kept circulating, including uh, one particular woman in, in general. I won't say her name. Uh, but she was one woman in general. Uh, you guys probably seen her face more than anything. Everyone immediately went to her. Um, so her name, her face was circulating around the internet, especially on Twitter, a lot um, in regards to this case. So Brad Stevens defended her and others whose name were thrown into the mix, saying it was unfair of them to be tossed in this situation, which is true, uh, with no confirmation that they were even involved. Nonetheless, the woman who ultimately uh, everyone is lambasting for being who, you know, Ime Adoka um, cheated on his fiance wife, significant other Nia Long, um, and caused all this big stir up. Now, Adrian Wojnarowski, in his tweet, uh, said that it would be uh, interesting to see it would be a hard path back for Ime Adoka onto the sidelines for the Boston Celtics, even after his one-year suspension. If that's the case, fire Ime Adoka. Period. If that is the case, if the case is that even after he sits a year, this is so bad that he's still going to have a long road back to being the coach, fire him now. Fire Mayadoka now. Clearly, you can fire him for cause. You hire uh, the guy you got now on a one year on basis. He got the whole year to prove himself. And then either you hire him full time at the season or you open a, a national coaching search. Um, but you have to do something. You, if, he, if it's that bad, he has to go now. Um, he has to be completely fired. You have to tell everyone, hey, this is over in terms of from our perspective, it's done and just get rid of it um, entirely. So 
that is something that if I'm the Boston Celtics, Danny Ainge, not Danny Ainge, uh, Brad Stevens and ownership, I'm looking to move on from Adoka. If it's that bad, Matt Barnes is saying it's 50 times worse than what's being reported. If Angel Wojnarowski is saying that, man, we don't know how he's ever going to come back on the sidelines, you got to fire him now. Uh, you have to go ahead and make that move because at this point you're holding him, you're holding the Celtics, you're holding everyone in this pattern of limbo um, for no reason. And so that is uh, definitely something that they're going to have to make a move on, in my opinion, sooner rather than later. All right. So a little personnel contract news. Larry Nance and the New Orleans Pelicans or the Pelicans rather continue their good offseason of re-signing players. First, they got Zion Williamson on his designated rookie max extension. Then you bring in, then you re-sign um, CJ McCollum to two years, $64 million, locking him into New Orleans for the next four years. Zion's locked in for five years. Brandon Ingram's locked in for at least three, I believe might be four, but at least three years. And now you put two years, $21 million extension on Larry Nance's contract, locking him into the New Orleans core for the next three years. Uh, minimum as well um, so the Pelicans again and Larry Nance Jr. the power forward have agreed to a two year 21.6 million dollar contract extension uh, Steven Adams and the Memphis Grizzlies um, have agreed to a two year 25.2 million dollar contract extension um, locking him into Memphis for the next three years minimum as well um, and so Steven Adams is big because he can protect Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, he can protect John Morant. Um, you saw what he did in New Orleans. He protected Zion Williamson. Jaron Jackson Jr. is not a similar player by any means, but he's a similar non-traditional. He's a four or five. He can play the four or the five. He can step out and shoot the three. He's not the world's best rebounder. Steven Adams is that rim protector. Steven Adams is that physical presence who sets the screens and stuff and allows an offensive back, uh, offensive front court mate to be able to worry about you know finishing the play as opposed to initiating it with screens, etc. Um, so that is huge for Memphis. He's also a good guy in the locker room, a good veteran leader. Again, you got Dylan Brooks as one of your main players. John Morant's one of your main players. Jaron Jackson Jr. is one of your main players. And so having a guy like Steven Adams, who's been around the block a few times, been on a few teams, played with superstars, uh, played on teams that would, could contend for title, played on teams that had no chance. You know, he's had the full NBA experience. Um, so having him in the locker room is big for the Grizzlies. And of course, speaking of the Boston Celtics, they agree to a deal with um Blake Griffin on a one year fully guaranteed contract. In theory he comes in to replace the Lola Gallinari's roster spot. He doesn't do what the Lola Gallinari does, but he comes in as another veteran guy who knows what to do in a lot of situations. Uh never was on a title contending team in terms of made it to the conference finals or the NBA finals, but he knows what to do in most situations. And so uh Blake Griffin going to Boston. All right, and a little quick bounce around the league in terms of media days. Uh, from what I've been hearing, I listen to several podcasts, uh, one of which being the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorse, and they spoke about how um, Phoenix's media day felt like felt like a return, felt like a funeral. There was no injury there. DeAndre Aiden hasn't talked to uh, Monty Williams in, since the since the playoffs last year. Um, that is an issue. He looked no energy in the photos he didn't have energy for questions he's usually a quiet guy but it was it was bad even for him he only would talk to one or two people off camera people he's established a previous uh relationship um it was absolutely pretty pretty rough in phoenix and the energy was down obviously dealing with all the robert sarver stuff um 
lot of the a lot of the guys, Devin Booker, uh, James Jones, is speaking about how that's not the Robert Sarver they knew at all. So it is completely and totally shocking to them um, about this news. And of course, now the impending sale. People were asked about what do you want to see in a new owner. Uh, people were pretty mum about that. Um, so it's just it's a lot of what's it's a lot of things going on in Phoenix um, that kept the energy pretty down. Flipping across the country, you go to Brooklyn instead of the optimism. We're going to win a title. It changed. The rhetoric changed. The rhetoric changed to we're looking to compete. <laughs> we're looking to you know what I'm saying we're looking to come together on the court. We have we haven't played a game together. How can we possibly uh, have expectations like winning a title or anything like that? We haven't played a single contest together. Ben Simmons has never played in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. Uh, Kyrie Irving played half the season last year due to, to due to the COVID mandate. Uh, Kevin Durant played about eighty some odd games. Uh, in a Brooklyn Nets jersey in three years, um, and so maybe a hundred games in three years. It's, it's nowhere near the amount it should have been, and so um, it, you know the the verbiage and stuff has changed in Brooklyn uh, in regards to uh, what their goals are for the season. They're just trying to get on the court together and play uh, before they do anything else as far as expectations or anything of the sort. Flipping south. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans, however, had all the energy. They had all the smiles. They had all the laughs because a team who has been, like I said, re-signed three of their core players who finished really well in the last season, pushed a good Phoenix team to six or seven, six games without Zion Williamson. Now add to Zion Williamson, who looks about 20, 25 pounds lighter. Uh, instead of 285, I think at one point he made it push this guy to 295 and playing in the NBA. He may be looking at 260. Uh, right now, he is absolutely very slim. He may be 250. He has slimmed way down uh, in regards to his playing weight. Um, and so that is going to be huge for the New Orleans Pelicans, having Zion Williamson back. You've locked in CJ McCollum. You've locked in Larry Nance. Obviously, Brandon Ingram's there, who looks like the leader of the team. In all the photos, he's in the middle. And as you see, you see that oftentimes with the LeBron team. LeBron's in the middle. Um, unless it's, you know, they bring in somebody new like a Russ. Russ is in the middle for the photos last year. But Brandon Ingram on the, on the poster inside the building, he's in the front in the middle. In all the in the in the starting lineup photos, Brandon Ingram's in the middle. In the big three photos with McCullum, Ingram, and Zion, Brandon Ingram's in the middle. Um, and so he has stepped up as the leader of um, he has stepped up as the leader of the team. That much is incredibly obvious. And it's because he, again, he gets the center billing of all of the uh, team photos. So that is huge for him. The optimism is at an all-time high. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's looking like they could be a contender. You had ESPN projections projecting him as high as third based on statistics, numbers, analytics. Um, I would have the Pelicans. I'm a Pelicans fan, so I could be a little biased. Fighting for that fifth, sixth spot. If, every, if everyone's healthy in the whole NBA, fighting for that fifth, sixth spot. Um, is what I can see them going this year. So huge news for them. Staying south but shifting west, uh, all the way west, the Los Angeles Lakers kind of had a mixed bag uh, in terms of what they were looking for uh, and uh, how their media days was uh, discussed. You had optimism um, on one end, but again, their rhetoric's changed. Their rhetoric's gone from winning a title, from uh, going to the NBA Finals, etc., to competing, making the playoffs. Um, you know, their rhetoric has changed as well because you're dealing with a guy, Anthony Davis, said he's trying to play 82 games this year, and also he's looking to be the number one guy. 
you have a situation in LeBron James where he's year 20. That window's getting tighter and tighter and tighter. But maybe that window for competing for championships is tighter and tighter and tighter. But he's protecting himself by attempting to go. Uh, maybe he's looking to go play with Bronny or play with Bryce, etc., in order to get um, something no one else I think will ever do, which is play with their son in the NBA. Um, and then you have Darvin Ham trying to come in and establish a culture. A lot of different things are happening in LA. Um, so huge news for them. We're at a talk on Boston, what their sentiment was pretty much their media days. It was dealing with the Ime Adoka stuff, Ime Adoka debacle. So that is what is happening in the NBA. And now we're going to jump to our best for last, which is the Aaron Judge quest for 62. Welcome back into the show for our final segment. As always, it is best for last. And our topic um, that we're going to just chat about really quickly is New York Yankee slugger Aaron Judge is on a quest to hit his 62nd home run, which would be the American League record if he were able to do it. Um, Now, many people are now debating if they would call him the home run king. Because no one in, 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 in the AL has ever hit 62. Roger Maris, the only other player to hit 61. Babe Ruth had 60. Uh, but no one's ever hit 62 home runs in the history of the American League. If Think about it. Sammy Sosa, National League Cubs, when he did all his work. Um, Mark McGuire, National League St. Louis Cardinals. Barry Bonds, National League San Francisco Giants. So some people are saying Aaron Judge could have a, a rightful claim to be the true home run king. The reason being is he's not on steroids. Barry Bonds has a steroid accusation. Sammy Sosa has a steroid accusation. Mark McGuire has a steroid accusation. They're all either tested positive for steroids or have strong, strong allegations for steroids. Um, and they're all in the NL. Roger Maris, we don't know. It was a very, very, very long time ago. Um... Very, very, very long time ago, Roger Maris. We don't know if he's on steroids, but Aaron Judge has the opportunity to pass him. I know he's been getting tested like crazy because he's about to do all these home runs. They're testing him up a storm. He has not came back positive for anything, not even the hint of anything, not even an inconclusive test. Um, so he has an opportunity to be the first 62 home run person ever in the American League. And many people, basically baseball purists who worry about steroids and things like that, um, he would have a, he would be called potentially the home run king because he would have done it without the use of steroids, uh, which is a major, major development in that game, in that home run game. If they call him the home run king because he did it without steroids. Now, it would go against baseball culture a little bit because, you know, Barry Bombs was on steroids. You know, Sammy Zosa was on steroids. You know, um, Mark McGuire was on, was on steroids. But usually the counterpoint is so was the pitchers. Um but still in all uh, many people uh, baseball's culture is set up to where they don't punish the steroid users like yeah you may not put them on the hall of fame like that's the punishment they get you in the end but 
they don't punish them in terms of taking their records out of the record books. They don't punish them in terms of uh, removing uh, any of their information from history. They always exist. They just get an asterisk by their stuff in, in, the, in the record books, and they usually punish them by not putting them in the Hall of Fame. Um, and so, from my opinion, Homer's a homer. You, know, you can be jacked up as you want to. You can be as manly as you want to. Um, you can be as steroid as you want to. If you can't hit the ball, you can't hit the ball. And so these are already good players. Barry Bonds is a Hall of Fame before one steroid accident came out. Same as Mark Aguirre, probably a really, really good All-Stars. Maybe not Hall of Famers, probably a really good All-Star level players before one steroid accident came out. Um, because again, you still have to have the ability to hit the ball, to hit it hard, to hit it for a home run. Um, so that is the situation in baseball. Um, what is going on? But Aaron Judge has again has a major opportunity to take care of history and to hit his 62nd home run to be the all-time AL home run leader. But that is all we have for today. I uh, hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Uh, this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out. <laughs>